Hello. Hi. How's it going? Thank you, one person. All right. There we go. Okay. So I'm Megan. If I haven't met you yet, because there's a few new faces, it's good to see people again. People I haven't seen in a long time. Um, so it's, I'm glad that we're all starting to come back. It's exciting. Um, so as you might know, we're doing a series that Dave called From the Heart. That's what it's called. And so each leader, we got to choose what we wanted to speak on, and it was something I wish I had learned whenever I was in high school, which I love. Such a great idea. So whenever Dave asked me to come up with something, the thing for me that came to mind was owning your faith. Because if any of you have heard my testimony, you kind of know I basically just coasted through my faith most of my life until college. Um, and then when I got to college, I finally started to see that I needed to take some ownership in it because I was six and a half hours away from my parents. I didn't have them telling me to go to church. I was faced with decisions where I had to decide, am I going to partake in what these people are doing or am I going to choose to do something else? Um, and then at one point, I got into a conversation with a guy that was an atheist, and he was asking me about creation and all these questions, and then he was asking me, were, like, were there penguins and the Garden of Eden. I was like, I don't, I don't know. And so that, from that, I was like, okay, I don't know anything about my faith. Um, I realized that I had just been coasting this entire time, and if someone asked me, I would say I believe, but I could not tell them anything beyond that. And so that really kicked it off for me to pursue a relationship with Christ, to learn for myself who he really was. So y'all have seen the uh, Nike commercials, right? We all know the Nike, sorry, I won't click. You got it, my bad. Okay, so the Nike commercials, right? We all know the, the logo, right? The slogan, just do it. So what does it make you wanna do? do it. Your follow, do what your passions, follow your dreams, do whatever you believe in, right? Sports, music, whatever it might be. So just believe in yourself and just do it. Um, there's even one commercial, which I couldn't find, they don't have it anymore, but it's with LeBron James. And at the end, he's, y'all know who that is, right? LeBron James, he's kind of important. Okay, so at the end, guys, listen up. At the end, he says, it's not crazy until you, or no, sorry, I messed that up. It's only crazy until you do it. It's only crazy until you do it. So what if I were to tell you that the dream and passion that we should have is Christ? Okay church answer, right? Obvious. However, but you might also think, is that realistic? Do people actually pursue Christ like Nike tells us to pursue our passions? Is it really possible except for those exceptional people like Paul or C.S. Lewis, like those big names? Do people actually do that? Because here's the problem. If you have been to church or if you are a believer, then you know that becoming a Christian is easy, right? God did all the work, for you. God called you. He sent his son Jesus for you. Jesus died on the cross for you. He rose again for you. He did all the work for you. And all you have to do is accept him and have faith. That's it. Romans 10:9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's straightforward, right? And easy. All you have to do is believe and have faith that Jesus is the son of God. But what happens after that? How do we move forward from that as this new person that's no longer identified by the activities that I do, like the things I'm good at, but now I'm defined by this holy and perfect and righteous God. What does a Christian life look like? How do I know how I'm supposed to live my life? 
How do I know what's right when I'm surrounded by friends who are making a lot of different decisions? So this is stuff that I was pretty unprepared for going into college. Um, and these are things you have to figure out if you are going to grow into the person that Christ has called you to be. So when I say owning faith, I don't mean just obeying for the sake of what is expected of you. I mean making your faith your own. It's no longer this faith that your parents have asked of you. It's no longer this rule that your Christian environment has set on you. It is something that you personally value and cherish. So the first question is, why do we need to own our faith? Why would we want to do that? So Philippians 3.12 says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So first off, we need to understand what is Paul, Paul's goal here. He is striving to make something his own, to obtain something. And if you look at the paragraph before, you'll see that his ultimate goal is to attain resurrection. So as in eternal life with, when Christ returns. Now, he's not saying he's working for his salvation because we know salvation is free through faith in Christ. But when we become believers, we're immediately saved, and God then calls us holy, and now we're set apart and sanctified. And it's because of this promise that we have that Paul wants to make it his whole life focused and centered on this future hope he has with God. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverences for God. So Paul says, I'm going to make it my own because Christ has already made me his own. So being sanctified and declared holy is something that God claims for us when we believe, but it's also something that we grow into. And we spend our whole lives growing into and becoming the person that Christ intends for us to be. So when he says, make it my own, he's choosing to take this salvation that God gave him and run with it at full speed. He wants to make it his new life that's been given to him by growing in holiness and becoming more and more like Christ in his righteousness, not just on the inside, but in every aspect of his life. So that's his most, most important goal is to know Christ and therefore become like Christ. So making it your own means living your life with your eyes set on Jesus and your future with him in heaven. It's a life of commitment, of effort, and determination. I mean, like I said, salvation is through faith, but yet our response from that is to put effort into our sanctification and growth, to make it real to you and not just something that you checkmark because some forum asks you what your religion is. So the reason Paul is laying this out for the Philippians in the book is because they have become apathetic in their walk with God. They've lost energy in their faith in pursuing Christ, and they had a lot of other voices telling them what they should believe. Sounds familiar, right? Now, don't raise your hand, but however many of you, have you ever had a point in your life when you have felt apathetic towards God? Can you honestly say that you are not affected by what the world around you is telling you should believe about topics like homosexuality, drinking, modesty, sex before marriage. I mean, our culture does a lot of you do you and YOLO, right? But that, does that always line up with what God is saying is best for us or what is truth? It's impossible not to be affected by these voices surrounding us. And it's also just as easy just to coast and say you're a believer and just carry on and look exactly like everyone else. But here's the thing. 
God didn't call you to be stagnant, but to grow into his likeness and spend our lives glorifying him. So if you've ever read Revelation, you know, it starts with these letters to these churches. And one of the churches God, or Christ, calls out for being lukewarm. Now, y'all know what lukewarm is, right? Remember when you're a kid and you're playing in the bath and you're playing for so long that the bath all of a sudden is lukewarm, right? It's not warm. It's not hot anymore. It's not like freezing cold. It's just uncomfortably there. Like, that's lukewarm. Um, I have been surrounded my whole life with lukewarm, with people who say, yes, I believe, but that is it. There is no passion. There is no love behind that. It's just saying, sure, I believe, and then absolutely nothing else. But God didn't call us into a passive faith. In fact, in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So the gospel should not stop at us. The gospel should go through us and pass on to the nations, pass on to the people that see a difference in you and wonder, what is it that makes you different? But in order to do that, you have to know what you believe. So knowing what you believe is wisdom when you're faced with tough choices. So you are not going in blind and shocked, but instead you have a plan and a belief in place already set before you have to tackle these gray areas of life. With your boyfriend or girlfriend at a party that you know is not supervised, when you know your parents aren't gonna see your social media, when your friend decides that they might like the same gender, how are you going to respond to these things and what is your belief on these things? Know this ahead of time before you are faced with these decisions. Tim Keller said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. So it doesn't matter whether or not you like that Jesus told you to do this or not do this. What matters is, did he really rise from the dead? Is he really who he claims he is? Because if he resurrected from the dead, then everything he said was true. He really is the son of God. And if what he said is true, then it's probably worth taking some time and learning what he said, don't you think? We probably need to take him and his words seriously if he really is God. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, God's word, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So how do we own our faith? By knowing God. But we all know there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God, right? Because you can know some, who someone is without actually knowing them. Um, so I may know a lot about William and Kate, the royal couple in England. Because how can I not? I mean, every time you like check out at HEB, they're all over the tabloids. I mean, I actually got married at the same time that she did. So like her dress was in all the bridal shops. I also know she had her baby at the same time I was in England because her Hospital was down the street because there's like paparazzi everywhere. She also had her other baby at the same time, around the same time that I had my daughter, Riley. But I don't actually know Kate, right? I have not spent any time with her. Um, I don't know her likes and dislikes. I don't know her beliefs. I don't know what, what or who she puts her faith into. I don't actually know her. I know a lot about her, and most of it is probably false because I don't believe in anything those magazines say. So you may have grown up hearing about Jesus. You know who he is. 
I mean, you've at least gone, what, on some Sundays, maybe Christmas, maybe Easter, but do you actually know him? Have you spent time with him? The book of James says that even the demons believe and shudder. They recognize the sovereignty of Christ, and yet they still reject him. Paul is saying that to make your faith your own, to really grow into this holiness that God has called you to, you need to pursue a deeper knowledge of Christ. So Paul is saying this, who you can imagine, he was a religious leader. He probably knows a whole lot, right, already. I mean, he wrote like half of the New Testament. He had a vision from God. He was like one of the main people bringing the gospel to the world. And yet he is saying that he still wants to know Christ more deeply because he wants to know him so well that it affects him inside and out. Because when you accept Christ, your life goal has changed. Your new goal is to know Christ and to pursue being like Christ. And Paul understood that the more you know Christ, the more you become like Christ. Because you become what you behold. Have you ever noticed that when you're hanging out with someone a lot, you start picking up on their mannerisms um, and they start to rub off on you, whether that's good or bad, depends on the person. Um, or like when you're learning a language. How many of you are taking a Spanish, French language class? Yes. Don't y'all love it? I was a Spanish major in college. I love it. So, but when you're learning a language, you can't really speak the language until you really get absorbed in it, right? I mean, you can't like just look at the textbook and then all of a sudden you can speak Spanish, right? You need, that's why a lot of people do study abroad. You go over there and you are immersed in it, you're surrounded by it, and it helps you think in Spanish and therefore you're able to speak in Spanish. So you become like what you are surrounded by. You become like what you behold. The more you know something, the more you love it and enjoy it. Think about your friends. When you first became friends with someone, you know, they're nice, you like them, sure, but the more you get to know them and like really know them and they become your best friend, then you love them like a brother or sister and you would do anything for them, right? Because your relationship has changed. So even if you don't feel like spending time with God or, you know, you don't get your lovey feelings or the camp high from reading Leviticus, I understand. Um, I would challenge you that you would still make a conscious effort and put the time in because God will change your heart. Because the more you know him, the more you're going to love him. And the more you love him, the more you will want to know him, the more you become like him. So Paul says to think this way and have this mind. Basically, direct your mind towards this specific thing, which is pursuing holiness. Because it's not just going to happen out of nowhere. You have to make a conscious effort. And our call is to respond in obedience because of this gift of salvation that he has already given us. So our walk with Christ is not like some leisurely stroll through H-E-B, but it's a pursuit and a striving after Christ, like a runner racing to the finish line. So let's talk about pro basketball players. You know how disciplined and focused pro basketball players are? I mean, do you think they just like show up for the game and all of a sudden they're amazing? No, well, maybe, maybe like LeBron, I don't know. But probably not. He put hours and hours and hours into practicing so that he could play the best game that he could. It, they put their whole lives into the game. Do you know how many calories the average NBA player eats? Y'all want to guess? Less than you. 6,000, I heard it. Six to 7,000. The average human only eats like 2,000 or should. I mean, or less. 
I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, you know how many McDonald's cheeseburgers I could get with that? That'd be awesome. Um, but do you think they fill up on Cheetos and Dr. Pepper? No. Because even if you're not a doctor, you know that that is junk and that is not going to give you the energy or the nutrition that you need to play the game well. So, I mean, they have to be disciplined in everything in their life and what they're putting in their body, in the sleep that they get, in the exercise, in the, in the practice, and in everything. They don't go through all this work because they're forced to do it. They do it because they love the game so much. They do it with this end in mind because they can see the goal and they know how wonderful that prize is going to be at the end. And that is our walk with God. We look towards the goal and we see what awaits us. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself might not be disqualified for the prize. And that's how we should see it. If you cling to love God and you want to own up to this faith that you are saying that you have, you have to be disciplined. You have to fill yourselves up with the things that are good with us, with the truth. Because ultimately know that the effort that we make in knowing Christ will only bring us closer to him. 1 Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blood, blemish or spot. So our days are filled with so many voices coming out as telling us how you should or should not live your life. But it's only the gospel. It's only ever the gospel. It's never the gospel plus. It's just Christ and his word. Know him and you will grow into a mature Christian. Know him and you will have discernment when you are faced with conflicting messages of the world. Second Peter um, 3 says this, or Second Peter 1 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us to his precious to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love." And for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I love that. Make every effort. And honestly, it comes down to trust. Do you trust God? Do you trust that he is who he says he is? Do you trust that he is a good and merciful God who has your best interest in mind, even if we don't always understand? Or what voice are you going to listen to? Who are you going to follow after? Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. 
I mean, the first sin came down to the fact that they didn't trust God. They thought they knew better, so they took matters into their own hands. But look where that got them. So if you look at Christ and all he has done for you, I would say that's pretty trustworthy. There's this story about a family. They were playing on the beach, and the whole family's over here building a sandcastle, and this little girl decides she wants to go play in the water. So she scampers off without the family knowing, gets into the water, and then, of course, the undertow, like, takes her under, and she starts screaming. And so then the mom rushes over there and thankfully saves the daughter. And when she grabs the daughter out of the water, the daughter clings to her for dear life. And that should be our response to Christ. Because we were headed for our dark abyss. And God pulled us out, and God saved us from death. And because he has captured us, we shouldn't want to let go. That is the gospel. God chose us and called us and sent his son Jesus to die in our place so we could have eternal life. So this should push us to move, to act, to love, to respond to him in faith. And when it comes to a call to pursue a life with him, we should do it with every energy that we have. So just like that ad said, it's only crazy until you do it. So let's just do it. Accept the Christ, the gift that God has given you, and run like the wind, bullseye. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we'll break off. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a good and merciful God, Lord, that you have proven that we can trust you, that we can believe your word, Lord, that we know you have our best interest in mind, and I pray that we would see that and run with it, Lord, that we would accept this gracious gift that you have given us and make every effort in knowing you better because only through that are we going to be able to navigate this world. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.